Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Thank you for joining us for the August edition of Three Squares. We are thrilled that you are here. I'm Charlie Arnott with Look East and the Center for Food Integrity, working to keep food trustworthy. And my two co-hosts, Kevin Ryan and Susan Swally. Kevin, you'll go first because Susan's going to introduce our guest. Awesome. Um, Kevin Ryan with Malachite Strategy and Research, helping CPG retailers, ingredient companies at the front end of innovation. And I'm Susan Schwally with Circana, where we bring clarity to consumer behavior. Uh, specifically, I work in the food and beverage area, but uh, sometimes I get into a little general merch. And today I'm really, really excited, Charlie and Kevin, because I have not only a colleague, but a dear friend of mine who um, is also from Circana. Uh, he and I have been rattling around the former NPD and IRI worlds for a couple decades. And um, Darren is a master of understanding what's going on, particularly in Americans' kitchens. Um, he is an industry analyst for uh, the CPG food consumption and food service industries at Circana. Um, he spent seven years at IRI before joining NPD, where we were reunited in 2007. He's a contributing author of our annual Eatings in America, Eating Patterns in America report. Um, which takes a look at what's going on across food service as well as what happens in the home. He provides insights based on our food-related research to organizations and companies across the country and has authored several reports, one of which just released within the last 48 hours inside America's Kitchens, which is why he's here with wow. us today. Yeah, it's very exciting. Besides working on um, these studies, he's also a frequent speaker at industry events um, hosted by associations and organizations, including the National Confectioner Association, the Food Institute, Grocery Shop, and he's been quoted in numerous media outlets, including NBC Nightly News, The Wall Street Journal, The New York Times, and Darren, NPR is not on your bio, but I've heard you on that outlet also. So welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Listen, I've, I've listened to your podcast before. You guys have such a chemistry. I'm just so happy to be here. This is cool. Yeah. Thanks for coming on. It's it's taken yeah. too long. So let's <laughs> chat a little bit about what's going on in America's kitchens. Yeah, All let's right. do it. I'm going to kick it off, Darren. Uh, thrilled you are here. Thank you so much. And as a kitchen gadget fiend, I'm really interested in learning more about what you have to say. So what do you see as the biggest behavior change going on in America's kitchen pre-COVID today? I mean, that's a huge, broad, broad space. But But as you think about that with your expertise and experience, what's the biggest change you've seen? Yeah, yeah. So I, I think we could probably sum that up in three areas. Uh, certainly, the, the first one is the amount of meals that we're preparing in our homes. Uh, clearly, that shot up at the very beginning of the pandemic because we, we couldn't go to restaurants, right? They, they were mostly closed. I, I was living in New York City during the pandemic. That was not fun. There were no restaurants available. We all had to stay in our tiny apartments and make food in, in our homes. Uh, but 
we're still doing that to the same degree, or, or maybe not the same degree, but we're doing it to, at an elevated rate compared to the pre-pandemic level. So before the pandemic, about 83% of our meals or so were made from the home. And now we're about 85, 86%. Uh, just for context, in 2020, there was there was a brief period where it got up to about 90%. Hmm. That, that's a very fast change for consumers because our eating patterns don't shift that greatly uh, in, a, in that short period of a time. But we are still making more meals in the home, partly because we're not commuting. You know, I, I'm still sitting in my home right now, you know, so we're still doing all that kind of stuff. I'd say the second part is the need for convenience across the entire path to consumption, what we've referred to. Uh, so that could be anywhere from just figuring out what you're going to make, how you're making it, clean up, you know, that entire spectrum. Uh, you know, where we find meal ideas, uh, it, Gen Zs, for example, I mean, they they are at a life stage when they're not really sure what to do in the kitchen, but they really took to social media to figure out those ideas. Um, uh, preparation, you know, we, we got a lot of appliances to help us out with that. Um, and, and also just in, in cleanup. So things that we, where we could make meals that don't leave a big mess for us. And I would say, the third is the level of indulgences we allow. So when the pandemic hit, I, I'm sure maybe you're going to raise your hands on this one. A lot of people ate a lot of ice cream and sweet baked goods at the beginning of the pandemic. We were stressed and we were bored. We, ha we had to do something. And a lot of people turned to baking or just eating sweet baked goods. A lot of that is still with us today. Um, when you think about how, uh, you know, we're, we're still pretty stressed from other factors today, and we still see increased levels of sweet baked goods and, and just sweet treat consumption today. The name of the game, it, it, it's, it's not about how much can you eat, it's how do you help me indulge without overdoing it, but it, there's still more indulgence going on today. I'm Great. curious you. If, if you wouldn't mind digging a little bit more into that convenience part that you spoke of. I mean, I know at the beginning of the pandemic, you know, everyone was like uh, making sourdough, which doesn't sound very convenient. But then, you know, it seems like, you know, air fryers are are still around and people seem to be using them. I mean, no Instant Pot filed for bankruptcy. <laughs> I mean, convenience still seems to be with us. But is the idea behind convenience, is that changing today? And how do you see it kind of going forward? Yeah. Yeah, because when, when you think about it, in 2020, convenience was really all about how do you help me make this influx of meals in my home mm. uh, in the same amount of time that I have, right? We we had a little bit more time on our hands because we weren't commuting so much. So maybe for you know, people who had an hour commute each way, that's two hours back in your day that you could now dedicate towards making those meals. You just had more meals to make in the home during that. Now, as people are starting to move out and about a bit more, whether it's for commute whether it's for just I'm, I'm, go, I'm going to meet friends uh, the the role of convenience today is more about it, it kind of getting back to some of the traditional ways of how do you help me just make this meal faster how do you help me make this meal with less of a mess because I, I don't have the time on my hands that I used to back in 2020. You know, Darren, one of the things that's interesting is we've seen, again, the contraction on the at dinner, the number of dishes being included and the number of ingredients. So, you know, it's uh, I think it's taking out the steps. I think it's more one dish meals, which also yep. global cuisine and some of those trends lend themselves nicely to those types of, of meals. So we know the pantries are less stocked, right? And fewer ingredients are going into the dishes. So I think that's another shortcut. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, you know, you, you kind of hit on that. They, uh, in the pandemic, we were stuffing our pantries deep because, well, we were afraid to go back to the grocery store and we, we needed to, to stuff them for the long term almost. It's almost like it was a bomb shelter in many ways. But uh, today we're having a little bit more of that uh, just-in-time supply in our pantries. There's about a 10% reduction in the number of food and beverage items we keep on hand today mm. versus 2020. And so we also have seen an increase in heat and eat solutions. Uh, we've seen an increase in, like, like you said, Susan, uh, those one-dish meals, which doesn't mean they aren't complex, but it just everything ends up in that one dish. And in many ways, mm. that's the convenient factor. You're not cleaning up as many things. Yeah. The other thing is, Darren, correct me if I'm wrong, because I know you look at this data more often than me, but on the um, sales side, the type of shopping trip that's up and growing are quick trips, which I think speaks to that just in time. Do I have that yep. right? Yep, yeah. Yep. And and so so those trips, you know, like they like they sound like you're really going for one or two items, maybe maybe a handful of items. Uh, you're not doing that that massive shopping trip, you know, filling up the entire basket <clears throat> in those trips. Uh, and so, listen, I, I need some little bit of milk here. I need, you know, maybe one thing that I need for dinner. But we're again, we're not stuffing the pantries deep the way we were. Yeah, is that I could driven take us by down a rabbit hole oh. on that whole thing, Darren? We could go down declining volumes versus we're still eating the same, but we're not going to. So I'm going to mm -hmm. rein myself in back to America's Kitchens. Um, you can tell we love working together, right? <laughs> so let's talk about Gen Z. You touched on the fact that, boy, they're coming of age. What's the front end of Gen Z now? Twenty six. 26, there, 27? Uh, yeah, 26. 26. So think about, let's go back to 2008, 2009. The millennials were a similar age, starting to move out on their own, learn to cook, and they got hit with the Great Recession, and they didn't eat out as often, and they had to figure out how to cook. And lo and behold, Gen Z comes along, same point in that formation of kitchen skill and, you know, how do, how do I feed myself? And they hit this pandemic, and they have to learn to cook more. So- how are they doing it? You touched on social media. Um, and are they, are their kitchens? Do they look different? Do they have the avocado masher like millennials? Because I don't know if they're the avocado toast. Maybe they are. What's going on in their kitchens? Well, the way I like to say it is that Gen Z's took a crash course in meal preparation during the pandemic. So it's an interesting analogy that you brought up with millennials back in 2008, 2009 with the Great Recession. In many ways, there were some similar things going on. The millennials, uh, they couldn't really afford to go out to restaurants because of the economic situation. Gen Z's in this case, you know, they probably were facing similar economic realities in 2020 that millennials did in 20 in 2008 but just the availability of restaurants wasn't there either whereas in 2008 restaurants were open millennials could go if they could afford it but in 2000 in 2020 they many of them were just closed and so like i said they took a crash course they're in a, at an adult life stage when they have very little cooking skills and they couldn't rely on restaurants to fill up that gap they took to social media to find ideas and, for lack of a better phrase, they dumbed them down to their skill sets. And we saw TikTok in particular as a clear winner for recipes with them. Social media was is their top source, but TikTok in 2020, TikTok was the only um, it was only a top 10 source for Gen Z's. And, you know, I've, I've gotten on it and I've looked at it and uh, I've actually gotten some recipe ideas from TikTok as well. But what I what I thought was fascinating about what, what they typically do is there are so many recipes, ideas that 
there's there's no words to it there's no measurements they try to make it very easy for the consumer who who really doesn't know what to do in the kitchen yet so it, it doesn't have to be very prescriptive and that opens the door to more people to do it regardless of their skill sets and so you know that yeah they 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 really ramped up their skills and when we look at how they rate themselves today versus 2020 we saw a big uptick in Gen Zs rating themselves as very good cooks and even accomplished cooks. Mm-hmm. So they're feeling much more confident in a short period of time. So if you change the bar, you can achieve. Was that snarky of me? I guess the measurements changed, right? If they're getting it done in a way that they feel good about, I guess that tells us something insightful, right? It, it yeah. It's, you know, again, going back to the millennial Gen Z comparison, it it was they both were forced to do something at an earlier life stage than they typically would have. So it's it's almost like there's a generational shift. You know, when when you and I were of this age, we didn't have these economic situations. We we probably relied on restaurants a lot to fill that gap. And I know I did. And then over time, I just slowly started using my kitchen a bit more. These guys just went nose first. They just dove right into it. And so uh, I could see them pushing this home-centric, uh, the way that they're having their meals in the home earlier at a life stage. Uh, I see that happening uh, as a kind of a generational shift. Interesting. Kevin, I wonder, do, does the number of people calling themselves accomplished in the kitchen as a, as a food scientist and a chef, does that make you grind your teeth? No. As, no? Long as, I mean, no, as long as people are enjoying themselves and and uh you know getting what they need done i think is is you know as as darren was saying that i i think that's great i think that's great i never never want to shame folks for but do they know how to uh, bind protein to microbeads in a clean no they do not they probably don't yeah whole other conversation that was my background (laughs) back on track darren if if i had a hundred feet of of counter space 80 feet would be filled with kitchen gadgets right so that's that's who i am i have an anova smart uh sous vide oven like that right so how have smart appliances and other technology been adopted in the kitchen since then did we did we see a peak and is it is it has it plateaued is it coming down i mean is, is kevin mentioned you know instapots file for bankruptcy so what is the status of, of of all of that we know that gen z and millennials love technology they see technology as a means to an end so what are we seeing with smart appliances yeah, so we've it's it's not peaked. We are continuing to see more and more households say that they have smart appliances. Uh, it's and about fourteen percent, fourteen percent of meal preparers tell us that they have at least one in their kitchen. Compare that to nine percent in twenty twenty. So we're wow. we're still moving up on this one. The thing about smart appliances is that most of them are really designed to be Bluetooth or Wi-Fi compatible to connect with your smartphones for controlling them. Right. And that's that's nice. It, it's a nice convenient. I'll tell you, I, I have a couple of them in my kitchen and I could be sitting on the couch and I could say, hey, change the temperature to that or uh, put the timer on it and, and turn it off when the timer is done. What I think would really elevate smart appliances and push them further and create more demand for them is if they were actually solving things like a like a cooking pain point so it could for instance if it could detect the size of your meat in the oven and adjust the temperature or or whatever it is so that it comes out the same way and consistently all the time that's the kind of pain points and needs that i think that these appliances could solve because to be honest when i use my smart appliances 
it's nice. I get an alert on my phone when my oven is preheated, but uh, I, I could still do that by walking over and looking at it. it, it <laughs> it's not doing something necessarily new. And so I, I think that's the challenge for the appliance industry right now is make not not putting things that are like cool bells and whistles, but actually solving pain points. So you're talking about inserting AI. We have to say the word AI because otherwise we don't get the metadata and tagging that really raises us in the in in the ranks. But hey, I mean that makes sense, right? Uh, I mean, some sort of AI. Yeah. Uh, AI. Did I'm you not, say AI? I'm not sure if it's AI. Um, yeah. That... Just say it's AI. Right. Don't get exactly. me started on this one. No. 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 That's I. I completely agree. I'd like to go back to um. We we already talked about I think TikTok and everything. I'd be I'd be curious to understand. Uh, more about the idea of um, how the economy is affecting. Um, you were talking about like the quick trips and all that kind of stuff. I'm curious about how much of that is driven by convenience and how much of that kind of thing or in general is driven by cost. I mean, how much is that really affecting consumers right, right now? Well, when it comes to poor economic conditions and how we eat, we we really don't we don't stop eating because the economic times are bad. What we do is we right. make choices. So, yeah. one of the things that we've we we've seen in our data is we, an increase in share for things like value brands and private label. We've seen some channel shifting away from grocery to mass merchants. So consumers will try to find what they get all the time at a slightly lower price. Mm -hmm. And so we're, we're not necessarily going to, to reduce the, the amount of times that we eat. And we're not. We are not seeing that happening right now. But mm -hmm. we'll, we'll shift what we buy. We might also make fewer restaurant trips. Uh, we've seen households with kids, for example, they're, they're not going to restaurants quite as much because that's that's a much bigger ring when you when you go out and feed all those mouths. Right. So that it's gonna it, it, it won't necessarily change how much we eat, but it'll change where we eat and the things that we buy. That yeah, makes sense. Hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, one and and it goes back to that fewer fewer dishes and um making things that I, I think things like casseroles and center plate proteins and things have been doing well that can you can get multiple eatings um out of them. So yeah, we see shifts like broth is doing really well right now. Mm -hmm, so people mm -hmm. are making things, you know, with it. Um, yeah, interesting. Well, let's uh, let's kind of bring it all in. I really want to switch gears. Um, one of the things that we do at Circana is we track sales of kitchen gadgets, tabletop, small um, countertop appliances, and uh, one of our counterparts in the home area works closely with Darren on this and. Um, although most of this audience is probably um, on the, the food side from all the way from ag front end supply through manufacturer, we may have some folks that are interested in how um, what the next hot air fryer is going to be or what the outlook is for appliances because we put food in it, right? So can you share with us just like an outlook of, of what's going on, you know, what am I going to buy when I walk into Walmart next time off of the uh, appliance section? Yeah. Well, it, well, first thing, we do know that sales of kitchen appliances are a bit down versus, versus last year and certainly versus 2020. You know, 
we we gravitated towards these appliances in 2020 because of all the influx of meals that we we're handling in the home. We did it to for the for the convenience factor of all of them. But when you think about just the natural purchase cycle of appliances, we we definitely did a pull forward with this. We we definitely disrupted those purchase cycles by buying all those appliances. And unlike food, you know, which could last for weeks, maybe months, these these appliances last for years. And so we kind of like squeezed a lot of well, I guess you could say future sales into a couple of years. And so now we're kind of netting out and kind of returning to a, a normal growth pattern. But because we are may still making more of these meals in our home, we are expecting that sales will remain elevated compared to the pre-pandemic over the next few years. Mm-hmm. All right. So so there's that. So there, there's going to be a, a pent up demand for that. Um what I think could help some of these manufacturers uh, get back into that purchase cycle and get it kind of shortened again is, again, through innovation that solves for pain points. So very much like these smart appliances that we were talking about, like the ovens that could detect the size of the meat, uh, are there other countertop appliances that could do something similarly? So air fryers have been a big hit. Um, we are seeing usage of air fryers increase at every single day part. But can they do something else too? Can they can they detect how much your item is being fried? I know I've there's several dishes I put in my air fryer that came out quite blackened. I, I didn't want it to go that far, but can they adjust that so that it now provides another layer of convenience and another uh, a pain point solved mm. by innovation? And so mm. I think if we could do that, then we're going to start getting some of those purchase cycles a little bit shorter again. You know, it's interesting, Darren. I think there's two key trends that stand out for me and correct me if I'm wrong in sales of uh, housewares that help us understand a little bit about consumption too. The first is, is I believe that stuff related to entertaining is still growing. Do I have that right? Like uh, barware and um, because we, we bought a lot because of the pandemic, but then we're just naturally doing that more because we're not in restaurants. So I do think like special occasions and entertaining might still be an area. Um, and then the other one that maybe you can uh, also comment on is grills. We're seeing some softness in grilling, which I yeah. think is a lot weather related. The, yes. Weather is is certainly a part of it. We actually ask people open-endedly, you know, what are you grilling less often today? And if yes, why? And uh, weather was a big reason. It was hot this year. I mean, we all know it was it was a record heat across the country this year. And who wants to be standing us an open flame when it's 110 degrees outside, like right. like you're in and Phoenix? You have air quality days, yeah. You have air quality days, so smoke upon smoke. And so yeah, that that definitely hindered that a bit too. But but also there's a couple of other factors when you think about what we consume during a grilling occasion. There's a lot of volume of food and beverages. It's not just about grilling the burger. You've got your potato salad, your coleslaw, your condiments, the the bucket of beverages and cans, right? And on ice. So they're expensive. They feed a lot of people, but there's a lot going into that too. So I so between weather, costs, and also these tend to take a little bit more time to make. And so when people are commuting again on weekdays, grilling isn't quite as available. And so through June of this year, we have seen that the grilling occasions have decreased to a point that's lower than the pre-pandemic period. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think we saw slowed uh, purchase, but I, I, again, I could be wrong on that, but it seemed across the board in ownership, purchase and usage. Yeah. So we, that's we, something for anybody related tied to those occasions 
um, to, you know, to be aware of. That's my hot, my hot nugget. But, but, but here, here's something though, that where we did see some growth in grilling is in pellet grills. So just kind of a different way. They're still small. So I don't want anyone to think that this is the, the hottest thing right now, but we are seeing that more people are using and purchasing pellet grills to kind of give that new flavor, new format. It's something new and consumers love newness. Yeah. One of the things about the heat wave that's, that's helpful, a friend in Phoenix, he would just take a skirt steak on his way to work and lay it on the driveway. He'd come home <laughs> at night, pick it up. Dinner's ready. Right. Sounds so, so convenient. Pretty, so pretty convenient. Handy that, that is point. really convenient. So, yeah, it really yeah. is. It really is. Yeah. So there's some, there's yeah. some upside to that as well. Yeah. So yeah, you cool. don't even have to buy that driveway. No, no, it's already there. So you just yeah. lay it out there, pick it up yeah. when you come back and dinner's ready. So get lots right. of extra minerals. Yeah. It's great. It's great. Right. You get your vitamin D I'm sure because it absorbs some sun during the yeah. day. And so it's Charlie, probably you, you are a true exactly how provider. that works. Yeah. <laughs> really good yeah. Thing. So. All right. It's time to switch to our quiz. Oh yeah. And uh, it's the August edition and Susan hasn't won in this millennia, but we'll that's go not, ahead and give that's her not true, but I let Charlie believe pretty it close. It's pretty close. We'll go ego. ahead. We'll, yeah. we'll go ahead one more time Let's and, and give her a shot. And Darren, you're more than, more than, Please. We're, we're happy to have you join. Yeah. All right, all right. And you can assuage uh, Susan's unhappiness at the end. <laughs> all right. This, this month's uh, is based on my interest in, I was I, doing a, a deep dive on um, fast food and fast food founders. So oh. this whole quiz is about fast food and fast food founders. So first question, which of the following did Harlan Colonel Sanders, who was quite the character, which of the following did Harlan Colonel Sanders not do? So which one did he not do? Did he A, shoot a business rival in an argument about a gas station sign? B, practice law and serve as a justice of the peace? C, put a curse on a Japanese baseball team? Or D, carry the Olympic torch when it went through Georgia. Which of the wow. following did he not These do? These are all really interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go with C, just because I think he's probably a little xenophobic and kept all his right. interest to Japanese, okay. Yeah. yeah. Susan? Uh, I'm going Olympic torch. Okay, Olympic torch. Darren? <laughs> is all of the above an option? <laughs> <laughs> One of them is not true. Okay. So okay, so he 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 did all of them except one. Except one, right? Yeah. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the Olympics too. Okay, Susan and Darren are correct. The Olympic oh! torch. Are, yes, he I never did that. See him running. He did shoot a business rival over an argument because the 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 original KFC was actually in his gas station, and so when they were doing that, and then he also was a justice of the peace and a lawyer, but he was fired from the law because he got in a fist fight, <laughs> and wow. he did put a curse on a Japanese baseball team because they took one of his Colonel Sanders statues and threw it in the river. Um, so, and actually, the Japanese baseball team actually found it in the river in 2007 and got it out to try to stop the curse. But that's a whole nother story. Oh, All right. So Darren and Susan. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Question two, other than Harlan Sanders, what other fast food mogul was an honorary Kentucky Colonel? Was it a Ray Kroc of McDonald's B Dave Thomas of Wendy's C Glenn Bell of Taco Bell or Dan Carney of Pizza Hut? I'm going Dave Thomas because he's I was from Ohio say, and that's near Kentucky. Yeah, that was okay. my thought process too. Yeah. Charlie, uh, just to, just to be different because we have to have different answers. I'm going to go with Ray Kroc, but I think it's probably Mr. Thomas. 
It is Mr. Thomas. You could have gone for it. You could have. I know. Yes. Okay. Sure. Why not? Yeah. Yeah. Because he began his career as the district manager for Kentucky Fried Chicken franchise. And actually, when he when um, Colonel Sanders died, uh, Dave Thomas ordered all the flags at Wendy's to be flown at half staff because that's how close he was to. That's very cool. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So far, Susan and Darren are are, are, cleaning my clock. I know. Yeah. Okay. Okay. This one. Burger King has been owned by several companies over the years. Uh, which of the following brands were not under the same brand umbrella at Burger King at one time? Right. So which one was not connected with okay. Burger King? All right. Was it A, Guinness Beer, B, Haagen-Dazs, C, MGM, the, the, the movie company, or D, Apple? Which one was not at one time under the same umbrella as Burger King? Well, I'm, I'm going to go with Apple just because it's I, so far out there. But... Uh, Apple. 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 All three of you, Apple. You are correct. Yeah. At one time, Burger King was purchased by Pillsbury in 1967, which owned yeah. Haagen-Dazs, which was purchased by Grand Met, Grand Metropolitan 1989, who owned Guinness. And then TPG Capital owned Burger King in 2002, and they bought MGM. So that is the wow. correct. Hmm. Very good. All right. Number four. Uh, brothers Dan and Frank Carney owned Pizza Hut in 1958, but in the 1980s, Frank left Pizza Hut and became a franchisee in what other fast food company? All right. Was it A, Papa John's, B, Subway, C, Chick-fil-A, or D, Arby's? I'm going to go Subway. Way? Susan? Arby's. Uh, Arby's? What were the other two? Uh, the other two left were Papa John and uh, Chick-fil-A. Arby's. It was Papa John's. Oh, he actually went into pizza. Frank became a franchisee. He became a franchisee of Papa John's in, in 1994. And by 2001, he owned 133 locations. No, he yes. actually did a commercial saying, I've switched over and this is better pizza. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, that's a that fun family. Be a wow. I know exactly. Last question. Last question. Last question. I, can't, I can't catch up. I can't catch I don't up. Think so, so but yeah. but you can you All can you get talking. before Hell, owning before owning Chick Fil A. Founder S. Truett Cathy started what other French uh, fast food chain? Okay, it's an obscure fast food chain. But which one did he found? Was it A. Spangles, B. Made Right, C. The Dwarf House? Or D, wife saver. <laughs> I'm gonna made, say wife right. saver just because that I, that name's great. Wife okay. saver. Wife saver. Darren made right. Spangles. Spangles. Susan. Charlie. Made right. Made right. Made right. Made right. You're all wrong. It was the dwarf house. <laughs> the dwarf house. <laughs> I should have opened... I've been there. I've seen the whole story. I should have remembered the dwarf house, but I didn't realize it was a franchise. Yes, he opened dwarf house in 1946 in Hapeville, Georgia. Ironically, the Dwarf House, it focuses on hamburgers and steaks, and there are still 12 Dwarf Houses around. Spangles is a Kansas burger place that's known for their Black Angus burger. Made Right is an institution in Iowa, which you probably know it's a loose meat sandwiches. And then Wife Saver concept, but that's yeah. Wife Saver is a very specific. It's a it's a chain, but it's uh, known from it's in Augusta, Georgia, and they're the restaurant that supplies all the pimento cheese for Augusta National. Ooh. Oh, <laughs> there you go. Yes. Wife saver. So, wife saver. Yes. Well, 
Hell has in fact frozen over. <laughs> you know what? Susan, she brought Susan, the Circana team. She did. The I Circana did. team. Team Circana. Yeah. I'm not worthy. Team Circana. Worthy. Yeah, yeah, team yeah, Circana yeah, yeah. rules today. So, well, we so, need so a break what, in the heat. What do so we win? Pride. You win our undying pride. love and respect. Pride. Pride, not prize. Yeah. Pride, not prize. Right, right, right. Darren, you and I are going to update our LinkedIn right now and say we won. You won the quiz. Champions of the three squares quiz. Yeah, that's right. That's a skill on LinkedIn, isn't it? I think it is. It's a good choice. All right. Well, Darren, thank you. And thanks to all of you for listening to the August edition of Three Squares. We are thrilled that you chose to spend a little time with us. We encourage you to do so again in September. We will be back with another outstanding guest and, of course, co-host Sujus Bali and Kevin Ryan. I'm Charlie Arnott. We want to thank you for your time and attention. Have a great rest of your August, and we will see you next month. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.